Welcome everyone to the satsang tonight. And Baba used to begin every program by saying in Hindi, Sabko varasanmane kesat premse hardik swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And in the same spirit, I want to welcome you all to tonight's program. <coughs> and um, uh, I like the, <coughs> the elf's wonderful talk. Um, but he talked about surrender, and uh, they say that surrender is the easy path. So I have a, another poem by my favorite 17th century poet, Tukaram Maharaj. Uh, he talks about the easy life of the bhakta. If you're a bhakta, all you have to do is love God. You don't have to be good at yoga. You don't have to be able to do great austerities. You don't have to be able to do thousands and millions of mantras. You don't have to have a keen intellect that can separate the true from the false. All you have to do is let God take care of you. That's what Tukaram says. I'm just giving the argument of the poem in advance because there are some people I know that have trouble understanding poetry. <laughs> but, 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 but it will be solved because sometime in the uh, Christmas week, I think, um, I'm going to do, uh, a professor is going to come here to do a, a, a poetry course in honor of uh, my old friend, the chairman of my department, Jack Snymer, who passed away this year. So we'll have a special program that for those literary-minded can come then to be announced. Tukaram says, oh, Vital, he addresses it to Vital, his... Uh, what? Jerry Lee. I was going to mention Jerry Lee. Oh, oh okay. Do you have the photograph? I do. I do. Okay. <laughs> well, R.I.P. Jerry Lee, one of the giants of, uh, of uh, the early days of rock and roll. No. No. <laughs> Jerry Lee Data. There he is. AKA the killer. So he's passed on, and uh, so have all the, the, the people of that generation Chuck Berry, Fats Domino, Little Richard, and Jerry Lee Lewis. James Brown. James Brown, different generation. And of course, the king. And. Um, Jerry Lee thought that he was going to be a, he was going to replace uh, Elvis as the number one guy, and he did. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to Tukaram Maharaj. Okay, Jerry Lee, we're going to hear from him later anyway. <clears throat> he says, Oh, Vital, talking to uh, a form of Krishna, that the statue in Pandapur. Oh, Vital, I've used up every means of reaching your feet. If I offer you puja, I lack faith. I cannot control my mind for any purpose. To offer you good actions, I need willpower. To give you a gift, I need treasure, I need money. I don't know how to honor Brahmins. I am void of compassion. 
<coughs> see, for a, a yogi, all these things would be terribly critical. But for a bhakta, eh, doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't know how to serve the guru or holy men, to repeat the mantra, or to do spiritual practices or rituals. I can't give up passion or live in the forest to subdue my senses. If I go on a pilgrimage, my mind does not go with me. If I perform rituals, I don't know the correct method. If I say God is within me, then behold, it makes me feel superior to others. Therefore, I've come as a suppliant, your servant in all humility. Such a one doesn't need any abilities or good karma. Now I'm fine, says Tuka. <laughs> I always felt that way. Let the yogis be great yogis, let the yanis be great yanis. As long as you love the guru, love God, takes care of it. You can be an idiot. So tonight, uh, as you know, I do my endless series on the great beings uh, who I treasure and love. Of course, uh, dearest to me is my own guru, Baba Muktananda, and the grand guru, Bhagwan Nityananda. But there are other great beings who have attained that state and who have a lot to show us. And as you saw, <laughs> uh, Tonight will be Nasargadatta Maharaj. And uh, among, among the, the, the yogis that, uh, that I draw on, he's one of the very few that I actually met. I met him in his apartment in Mumbai, Bombay, uh, in a very modest area of Bombay. <coughs> and I uh, spent an afternoon with him, not understanding each other, because he was speaking Marathi and I was speaking whatever I speak. Um, but I later found that he was a, a great jnani, uh, a great follower of the path of wisdom. His story, he, was, uh, he grew up outside of Bombay, a country boy. And because of economic necessity, he went to the city to make some money and make a living and support his family back on the farm. Uh, and so he eventually uh, had a career as a cigarette salesman. And he uh, eventually had about five shops of selling beaties, the little conical uh, uh, Indian uh, cigarettes. And he was doing that, he was doing pretty well. Uh, and then the, the uh, spiritual bug hit him. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you might not, but I think all of you do. Uh, and he became uh, filled with this desire to know God, to know the self. Uh, and um, he went around to different holy men. There were a lot of uh, yogis and practitioners in the Bombay area. He didn't get as far as Ganeshpuri, where he would have met Bhagwan Nityananda, but he met uh, a yogi in, uh, in Bombay. And the yogi says, always contemplate I am. Focus on the I am. And so he continued doing his work. And when the spare time, he would contemplate I am. And then after three years, he was established in the self. And then 
people. He didn't do anything to uh, promote himself, but his friends started coming and getting, listening to his exquisite dialogues and conversations. And pretty soon his whole living room was filled with people asking him questions about the past and so on. <clears throat> and so um, this is one of those dialogues. Eventually somebody came who uh, taped it and wrote it down and then translated it. And we have a, a great book called I Am That, which is a, a collection of 101, I think, of his dialogues. And there are many other books, all collections of his dialogues. So this is from I Am That. Oh, you got more photos? Good. Let's see what else. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what he looked like when I met him. He was very intense. He would stare into my eyes and... Um, but we, you know, we, we'd speak, but we couldn't understand each other, but it's still. But he was also full of love. Next. And I didn't see him, I didn't see him giving a discourse or giving a conversation, but this is him in full career. He loved to argue and uh, be feisty and dispel ignorance. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's it. Okay. <clears throat> Question. This is somebody from England. Oh, these foreigners started coming the, uh, uh, in the, uh, probably in the late 60s. They found, the word got out about him, and so a lot of uh, his, his room was filled with Indians and Westerners. Uh, so this is one of them, an, Eng uh, an English person. Question. It's a very complex question, but I'll boil it down afterwards. In one's search for the essential, one soon realizes one's inadequacy and the need for a guide or a teacher. This implies a certain discipline, for you're expected to trust your guide and follow implicitly his advice and instruction. Yet the social urgencies and pressures are so great, personal desires and fears so powerful, that the simplicity of mind and will, essential in obedience, are not forthcoming. So he has two crumbs problems. Let me keep hard to surrender and to understand. How to strike a balance between the need for a guru and the difficulty in obeying him implicitly. Uh, so this is my rewrite of the A statements. Uh, I recognize the need for a guru, but I have difficulty in sur surrendering. Can Maharaj give me guidance? That's basically what he's saying. Maharaj says, the guru demands only clarity and intensity of purpose, a sense of responsibility for oneself. It's a very interesting sentence. This is what the guru really wants, dedication to the goal, to know this elf, <laughs> and he wants to be dedicated to it, not crapping around. Be really dedicated to it. Doesn't mean you can't do anything else, but to make that your daily focus. Daily, hourly, minutely, every second. Keep that in the back of your mind at least. Um, and take responsibility for yourself. Don't blame everything, circumstances, other people. This is a terrible, this is a terrible weakening of your practices when you don't take responsibility. He goes on, who is the guru after all? He who knows the state in which there is neither the world nor the thought of it. 
He is the supreme teacher. So the guru is the one that transcends the personal, knows the highest self, pure self. To find him means to reach the state in which imagination is long, no longer taken for reality. Please understand that the guru stands for reality, for truth, for what is. He is a realist in the highest sense of the term. Since uh, contrary to our upbringing, uh, what we seek here is the real. What's sought in conventional life is unreal. It won't get you what you think it will get you. But the real is the, the essence, the self-consciousness. That's real, and, and the world may not know it, but this is what's real. The sages say it, the testimony of the scriptures. This is what's real. So the guru stands for that, that reality beyond the mundane. He cannot and shall not come to terms with the mind and its delusions. I got that very early on, that Baba didn't give a damn about my stupid mind and all my dramas and what I thought this and thought that and this crap and that crap. He was polite, but he didn't really give a damn about that. He only wanted me to know this elf. <laughs> I'm lost now. Get out of this. He comes to take you to the real. Don't expect him to do anything else. Because <clears throat> he wanted, you know, we wanted to get Baba into all kinds of personal things and this and that, but all he was interested in is getting you to the self. Question. Of course, I understand that in the highest, I understand that in the highest sense. However, I imagine myself in a relationship with a very wise person who can help me put my life in order so that I can rise up to know the truth. So the person's saying how he imagines the guru-disciple relationship will be. We all have some model, you know, it'd be Dumbledore or somebody talking to us, uh, or Yoda. Gandalf. Who? Gandalf. Who? Gandalf. Oh, Gandalf. <laughs> that elf? You should know that elf. <laughs> anyway. Maharaj <clears throat> um, says, the guru you have in mind the one who gives the information and instructions, not the real guru. The real guru is one who knows the real beyond the glamour of appearances. Tim, your questions about obedience and discipline don't make any sense. For in his eyes, the person you take yourself to be does not exist. Your questions are about a non-existing person. Because the guru sees who you really are and uh, all your, your stories doesn't take that to be real. It only wants each of us to grow towards becoming who we really are and give up all these uh, false narratives. Question, isn't that a problem? I feel very much like a person. Good, good, no? This is telling them. Maharaj, what exists for you does not exist for him. What you take for granted he denies absolutely. Baba wasn't that harsh, but he was actually. But uh, Baba was very polite. He wouldn't say things like this, but he was unrelenting in driving us to the truth. He wants you to see yourself as he sees you. 
He wants you, he wants to put you in touch with what is already real within you, that which is real within us. There's so much baggage that we carry, so many opinions, so many ideas, uh, and so many notions that we think some are real, but the guru wants to put us in touch with what's actually real, the self. He says, you're, you're caught up, I can't use that anymore, I'll say the Atman, the Atman. That one. He says, you're caught up, caught up in the stream of events and relationships. That's what we all are. We're caught up in the stream of events and relationships. And then there's an ending stream of events and relationships. Right? And, uh, and uh, injuries and self-pity and things like that. Things are continually churning, coming to be and disappearing. You identify with this endless stream of events. But the guru knows that amidst all of that which changes, you're actually that which does not change. No matter what's going on in your life, this and that and that and that, there's something that abides. <clears throat> and that's what the guru is interested in. He wants you to give up your false identifications and, and identify with the observing Atman. There are always else watching everything we do, you know. <laughs> Question, I'm afraid you're describing something beyond my capabilities. Isn't there any place for one's personhood in the guru's world? Fair enough, suck it to him. <clears throat> Maharaj says, of course. In a relative sense, the guru understands the person as well and takes him into consideration, but throughout the process, the guru's eye is always in every moment on the impersonal goal. Question. The need to survive within society compels one to do and endure many things. Let's get practical, he's saying. You know, you can't just follow the, the highest truth all the time. You have to do practical things. Does one, he goes on, does one need to abandon one's profession and one's social standing in order to find reality? The Sagadatta says, do your work. When you have a moment free, look within. That's exactly the sadhana. They say that a sage teaches the, the sadhana that they did, the practice they did. And that's the most authentic, isn't it? Because not something mind-born made up mentally, oh, I like that, so we'll do that, but something that actually, the ground that he covered. And so... That's exactly what Nisargadatta did. did. He, he, when he had a spare moment, he contemplated the I am. So he's saying, when you have a moment for you look within, what is important is not to miss the opportunity when it presents itself. When you have a moment to contemplate, don't just get lost in hazy, foggy head trips, fantasies. If you're earnest, you will use your leisure fully. That is enough. That's a big buzzword I've noticed for Nisargadatta, earnest. To be earnest. To be earnest. To be earnest on the spiritual quest. And I've often talked about mumakshutra, the desire for liberation. When you really dedicate yourself to knowing the self. You know, Ramakrishna used to talk about it. 
said when you have um, the same desire that a person whose head is kept under water wants for air, when you have that desire for God, then you'll attain him. So that's real earnestness. How earnest is a person whose head is under water uh, for air? Very earnest. Uh, but he always valued this idea of earnestness to the quest. Question. In my search for the essential and discarding the unessential, is there any scope for creative living? Is there a loophole here? For instance, I love painting. Will it help me if I give my leisure hours to painting? What do you think? Maharaj won't have much sympathy, and yet he won't not have sympathy. He says, whatever you may have to do, watch your mind. He doesn't care if the person paints. But while you're painting, keep observing yourself. Keep it part of your quest. Don't just do something. Because painting uh, is not a goal that he values, but knowing the self is the goal he values. <clears throat> he says, also, and this is very interesting, you must have moments of complete inner peace and quiet when your mind is absolutely still. If you catch those moments of inner peace, they will become the center of your existence and it will dissolve all the agitation of outer events. What's he talking about here? Meditation. Meditation, yes. That's why we meditate, is to do that. But also, he's saying kind of naturally, your mind is like that, and you should notice that and focus on that. I call it the clear space of good feeling, or we could call it the upward shift. It's to be aware until finally we cultivate that place and we start to live in that, that space. Maharaj goes on, he says, your difficulty lies in your wanting reality and being afraid of it at the same time. You want to know the self, but you're afraid too. You're afraid of it because you do not know it. The familiar things are known, you feel secure with them. The unknown is uncertain and therefore dangerous. But to know reality is to be in harmony with it. And in harmony, there's no place for fear. An infant, infant knows its body, but not the body-based distinctions. It is just conscious and happy. After all, that was the purpose for which it was born, to be. The pleasure to be is the simplest form of self-love which later gets distorted with identification with the ego. Uh, be like an infant with nothing standing between the body and the self. <clears throat> it makes me think of, um, uh, I'm going to recommend to the professor to look at Wordsworth's immortality of, because he talks about how we're born, we're born in a state of uh, consciousness, and then we gradually contract ourselves as we grow up. And so he's saying, just be, let's do this as a dharana right now. Feel your being. You, you bees, right? You is? Is you is? Is you is or is you ain't my baby? Huh? So just being. Now, when you focus on your being, it may feel painful. Because you may have emotional or physical issues. But let them go and just See if you can find pleasure in just being, existing. 
You know, if somebody tried to kill you, you'd fight like hell, wouldn't you? So you must want to be. So just feel the pleasure of being. Be like a baby, just enjoying. Here I am. Ga, ga, ga. Feel the pleasure of being. I used to meditate on that and feel the pleasure of being. Then would arise this pain that I had, you know, the psychic pain, physical pain, all kinds of pain would come up. And I realized I had to process them, let them go. Let them go and get back to the simple pleasure of being, because that's the clear space of good feeling. He goes on. The constant noise of the psychic life is absent. This is for a baby. In deep silence, the self contemplates the body. It's like the white paper on which nothing is written yet. Be like that infant. Instead of trying to be this or that, be happy to be. Be happy to be. It's a very good dharma you can practice, just being happy to be. You'll be fully awakened and witness of the field of consciousness. But there should be no mental and emotional obstructions that, be between, that stand between you and the field. <clears throat> it's a good practice. Question, to be content with mere being seems to be a most selfish way of passing time. It says, I think the real question was, well, to be uh, just content with mere being is, seems very hard to be content, because all the impulses of fear and desire arise and make us not content with it. Baba gave me a great blessing by writing me, be content with what you have. And I understood from that that he was talking about that. Just be content with being, being this, being here. Not, not making it contingent on this or that, doing this, doing that. Maharaj says, a most worthy way of being selfish, saying it's selfish to do that. <clears throat> by all means, be selfish by foregoing everything but the self. When you love the self above all else, you go beyond the selfish and the unselfish. All distinctions lose their meaning. Love of one and love of all merge together in love, pure and simple, addressed to none, denied to none. That you, you, in seven, we, we love some things and hate other things, but when you experience love itself, then the whole universe is filled with love, impersonal love, but delightful. Stay in that love. Go deeper and deeper into it. Investigate yourself and love the investigation, and you will solve not only your own problems, but also the problems of humanity. All the social issues that come up you can solve by knowing the self completely. So investigate, says, love the investigation, do self-inquiry. Love the investigation and find that place of love within. It's all there, this is the essence of what the yogis say, that perfect love is within us, perfect joy is within us. It is only obscured by these wrong movements caused by desire and fear. So sit with yourself and go through, un get rid of the layers of pain that are there and go down to the core that pure. Keep working that, keep working that 
and your, your, your quest will be rewarded. Question, is there a way for me to speed up my self-realization? <laughs> Maharaj, of course there is. Question, who will do the speeding up? Will you do it for me? <laughs> Maharaj, neither you will do it nor me. It will just happen. <laughs> Question, so uh, he's, he sees it. <clears throat> my very coming here has proved it. <clears throat> is this speeding up due to holy company? When I left last time, I hoped to come back, and I did. Now I'm desperate that so soon I have to leave for England. So it was a false question. You really saw that being in Maharaja's presence uh, did something for his growth. Maharaj, when a child is born, it's not aware of its being. Uh, its being was there, but it was not aware of it. Gradually, a world arises in itself, and the child simply has to grow in consciousness. That is all. The child is the king of its world. When it grows up, it takes charge of its kingdom. Imagine that in his infancy, it fell seriously ill and the physician cured it. Does it mean that the young king owes his kingdom to the physician? Only perhaps in one, as one of the contributing factors. There were so many other factors, all contributed, but the main factor, the most crucial, was the fact of being born as the son of a king. So it's saying that we're inherently born into this state. We just don't know it. We have to let it be revealed. Similarly, he says, the guru helps you, but the main thing is that you are a conscious being. The guru couldn't help you if you were not a conscious being. No matter how much the guru looks at a stone, the stone remains a stone. And some people remain stones also, but eventually they won't, because inside even this most stone-like person is consciousness, is conscious being. <clears throat> he says, you're a conscious being, you have reality within. That reality will assert itself. He's saying that within everyone, this latent power of consciousness called kundalini shakti, or just consciousness, is latent and it's filled with ignorance or sloth or tamas. It's asleep, it's stupid, it's lazy, it's disgusting, self-indulgent, hideous, and keeping itself in the dark. But it is essentially luminous consciousness. <laughs> and it wants to show itself forth. And eventually, after going through all the hard knocks of many lifetimes, it will do that, because that's who you are. Every person is that. So there's something inside all of us that craves for this higher life, this higher truth. That's what he's saying there. <clears throat> your coming here, he says, definitely help you. The main thing is your own being. See, even the guru doesn't make you a conscious being. You're a conscious being. So wake up. <laughs> Your very earnestness testifies to it. How are we doing? Yeah. Question, does my pursuing a vocation deny my earnestness? <laughs> He's, the Maharaj is getting to him now. He says, oh, it's all right for me to, you know. Maharaj, I told you already, as long as you allow yourself an abundance of moments of peace, <clears throat> you can safely practice your most honorable profession. 
These moments of inner quiet will burn out all obstacles without fail. Don't doubt its efficacy. Try it. So Baba would say, as, as you said, meditate. Don't worry about it. Do your job and also meditate every day. But he's saying, do your job and notice when there's stillness and cherish and honor that stillness and uh, let it grow. These moments of quiet will burn out obstacles. Don't doubt its efficacy. Try it. But I did try, he says. <laughs> Complaining. It didn't work. I did what you said, and it didn't work. Maharaj says, never faithfully, never steadily. Otherwise, you'd not be asking such questions. You're asking because you're not sure of yourself. And you're not sure of yourself because you never paid attention to yourself only to your experiences. Be interested in yourself beyond all experience. That means to the, the self that exists beyond all the melodramas of your life, that, that which abides. Be with yourself, love yourself. The ultimate security is found only in self-knowledge. The main thing is earnestness, he says again. Be earnest. So. And when you hear that, it, it whips you, doesn't it? Whips you up to be earnest. Yes, yes, that's what it does for me. I want. I'm. I'm really want to dedicate myself to this practice now. You know, I've been lollygagging around. You know, I'm going to do this. I hope you join me. <clears throat> be honest with yourself, and nothing will betray you. Virtues and powers are mere tokens for children to play with. So even to be a virtuous person is nothing. And to get powers, and both earthly powers and psychic powers, those are nothing. The only important thing is really to know the truth, know the self. But do not take you, they're, oh, they're useful in the world, virtues and powers and all these things, wealth, all those things are useful in the world, but they do not take you beyond the world. To go beyond, you need alert awareness, quiet attention. <clears throat> Question, what then becomes of one's physical being? Maharaj, as long as you're healthy, you live on. <laughs> Question, this life of inner awareness, will it not affect one's health? You know, yoga could be very bad for your health. You know, doing <laughs> spiritual practice, self-inquiry is very, very bad for your health. But we have a gluten-free uh, variety. <laughs> gluten-free self-inquiry. Yeah? <clears throat> Maharaj, your body is food transformed. He always said that. You're nothing but food. <laughs> That's all you are. Just food. As your food, gross and subtle, so will be your health. So there are two kinds of food. One is food you eat, and then the others, the impressions and the thoughts you have, that's another kind of food. Very critical for your health also. Question, and what happens to the sex instinct? How can it be controlled? Maharaj, food is all right, sex is all right. Neither should control you. Your attention is on the self. If your intention is on the self, you will control the functions of the body, and they won't control you. You'll ask questions like, 
Does this bring me closer to the self or further away? Does this enhance my energy or deplete it? And these are the questions, yes, that tells you what's good for you and what's bad for you. You see, you have to look in an honest way at what is life enhancing and what is not. When you inquire this way, you'll make good choices in your life. Good choices are choices that lead you to knowing the self. Bad choices are choices that take you away from the self. <clears throat> your good choices will lead you in the direction of greater and greater self-knowledge. None of the things you encounter in life will harm you if you study their effects objectively and are willing to change them or let them go if they're harmful. So you don't have to be, he's envisioning, you don't have to be afraid of anything in life. You can just examine it and then if it's good, keep it, not, don't. The intelligence of the self will lead you if you look to it. The intelligence of the self will lead you if you look to it. And that's the end of the dialogue, great dialogue. Good? What did he say? David, what did he say? What, what did you hear? Watch the self. Yeah. Be aware of the self. That's right. Anybody else? Be earnest. Who's that? Be earnest. Be earnest. Yeah. <laughs> Be earnest. Let's 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 look at our earnestness for a moment. And go inside and see, you know, like those things in the carnival where you hit it and the ball goes up. <laughs> boing and hits you know, see well, what level is your earnestness? Weakling. Uh, what is it? What? What's the word? Weakling. Daily. Daily. No. Daily. Daily. No. No. I mean, like, uh, okay, wimp. Um, a jock. Yeah. Yeah. And then Trump. The heart. <laughs> uh, so, so let your earnestness go up one degree only, just one degree. Just be slightly more earnest. You know that play, the importance of being earnest. Who was that? Oh, the professor will be very happy with this. Such a literary crowd. Okay, so uh, that's good. Yeah, that was a good one. Earnestness and to keep the self in mind. So let's meditate. Meditate either on the self or the self. What was it like to have so much attention on you? <laughs> well, once I surrendered, it was fine. <laughs> yeah? Initially, I wanted to avoid. Was there a, a rasa in it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Life changing. What? Life changing. Life changing. Oh, my God. Whoa. All right, we're going to meditate for 10 minutes. <laughs> we'll meditate for 10 minutes. And there's uh, been a lot of talk about the inner self and so on. 
And so focus on that place within, the clear space of good feeling. Get in touch with it. When you go inside, you'll feel all the, the rush of neurosis and fear and desire and memory and fantasy, all kinds of things coming up. And just peel them away. Just let them go and keep going deeper and deeper until you come to the self. And we'll meditate for 10 minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Satyunath Maharaj Kijay. Let's meditate.